Well, good morning, City Light Church. My name is Mo. My name is Pat. (laughs) Good morning, brother. Uh, (laughs) I'm one of the pastors here. Um, It's such a privilege, and and it's really exciting for me to be a part of this family. Like, I'm so grateful that I'm a part of City Light Church. Um, And then I I just want to say that, man, I love you people. I love the people in the room. You are my family. You are my church. And so, man, I'm excited for the journey that Jesus has us on uh, as the body of Christ. Um, And so what we've been doing, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. And uh, the last couple weeks, we've been just in this chapter 2, right? Um, And and in chapter 2, we went through verses 1 through 10 and found out, man, Jesus broke into our story while we were dead in our trespasses and brought us to himself. He came in and rescued us and then is building us into his masterpiece. And then this week, what we're going to do is we're going to continue in chapter 2, uh, and we're going to finish it out actually in verses 11 through 22, where we see how Jesus is forming and shaping us into his church. And so if you have a Bible, I'd, I'd love for you to open it up with me and follow along. It's Ephesians 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Um, so, so this text actually is just a, a, a Bible text that has been on my heart since before we started City Light Church. Like, it's just been a burden on my heart because when I look out into our country and we see, I see all of the division, it, it breaks my heart because we divide over whether it be politics or race or culture. Um, my heart bleeds and says, man, let that not be true of the church. Let the church not be divided, but be united. And now I know when you hear some of those things like politics and race and culture, like sometimes our walls kind of go up. And so I'm just going to address it and say, yes, I know that I'm a black pastor standing before a mostly white crowd. Okay, like let's get that out of the way real quick. And and can I challenge you for one second, for one second, just say, hey, the next 35 minutes, let's put our guards down for a minute. Let's put our guard down and say, okay, how is the gospel speaking in my heart in this area? How am I doing and living out Jesus' gospel call to be unified? Amen? So, anyway, growing up, we would go to church every Christmas and Easter for the most part. And I remember two occasions in particular as my first church experiences, right? And so I remember my family, I think we went through the phone book and did this and, like, picked a church. And uh, when they had phone books, we don't have those anymore. But um, so, I, so we went to this church, and I remember we walked in, and I saw a bunch of people kind of rubbernecking, like, like, who are those people, right? Because we were the only brown folks in the room, and so it was like, what a... Who, who are those people? Clearly they're new. We started to feel a little awkward and uncomfortable. We're like, all these people are staring at us, like literally everybody. And so then we finally graciously find our seats, and we sit down, and, and uh, they, they start worship. And, and as they start, they start singing some songs that are not familiar to my ear because I'm used to Jay-Z, you know, Tupac, Biggie, and this sounds like a Kumbaya song around a campfire. I was really concerned for these people at this point. But anyway, so, so we, we got done with the songs, and I remember the pastor He stops, and he stares right at our family and says, well, if you're new here, would you please stand up while we can welcome you? So we can welcome you. And it's like, church 101, don't do that to people. Um, but, But I remember the feeling that I had in my heart, this feeling of like, I already know that we're different than everybody in the room, but you just isolated us. You just made us keenly aware that we're outsiders. Now, Don't hear that as only a white church thing because I went across town during Easter in the same year and went to an all-black church and experienced the exact same thing. We're the light-skinned family with a white mom in in an all-black church not welcome here. Or at least you're an outsider here. 
And, and so what happens is that we have this religious strife and this ethnic ambiguity, ambiguity in the American church, and, and it's heartbreaking. It destroys my heart to know that to, to, because we have black churches and we have white churches, we have liberal churches, we have conservative churches, we have, we have all of these churches, and it breaks my heart because we ought not be so divided. It'd be easy for us to point the finger at other people and say, well, if they would just conform to the way we do church, then, then it'd be easier, right? But the truth of the matter is this division is on us. We have no one to point the finger to but ourselves. Our country's history is full of ethnic bias and, and, and racial divisions and even racism. And rather than us, the body of Christ, the church, preaching the gospel of unity into these spaces, we've adopted them instead and conformed to them. And so I, I bet nobody in the room, though, is going to raise their hand and say, yep, I am for racism, right? Like, no one's going to stand up and say that. But, but my hope this morning is that God would expose our hearts to some of our, our at least our preferential uh, disunities. The, the things that we, we, toward, we tend to drift toward when it comes to diversity, that we drift toward our comforts and the things that divide us instead of the things that bring us together. And so whether that be intentional or like subconscious, my, my hope is that God would, would show us our heart and expose us to some of those realities. So as we look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 12, the question I want us to answer is, is there room for a church that is redeemed by God and is characterized by people of different color and different cultures rather than being characterized by the culture or the country by which that church resides? Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Let's pick it up. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called their uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So our first observation that we see here is that we were a far-off people. We were a far-off people. Uh, so Paul, Paul starts out this section using the words therefore and remember. So he's saying therefore, so based on or in light of the previous passage, meaning we've been rescued by Jesus and, and we've been reconciled to God, so to speak. Remember where you once were. Remember that you were not a part of the people of God. And so the reason why he says that is because he's talking to a specifically Gentile audience, and, and there was a rift between the Gentiles and the Jewish people. Uh, the Jewish people, so Gentile basically is to not be ethnically Jew, okay? And so what was happening is this, these, these Gentile people were coming to faith, these non-Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus, getting excited about Jesus, but they maintained a division between the people. Because here's what happened is that the Jews wanted to exclude themselves from these Gentiles because of their own racism. And the term that the Jews used to specifically describe the Gentiles were the, a derogatory term, the uncircumcised. You see, the Jews saw themselves as superior to the Gentiles because they were the religious elite. They knew all the right answers. They were the, the people of God. They were the in crowd of God's people. And so to say the least, they had some beef. They had some, some division between them. And, and some would even argue that this division is so massive that it would be bigger or greater than any racial or cultural or um, nationalistic issues that we might have today. They said it was that big. It was so big that the Jews actually had a phrase for the Gentiles as well. They said the Jews believed that the Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. Ow, 
right? Like, ouch. <laughs> I mean, some of us might be a little, like, disturbed when someone's like, man, I don't really like your shoes. It's like, oh, okay, dang, kind of bummed about that, you know? Or, or they might be a little bummed. You might be a little bit more bummed if, like, I don't really like you. And you're like, oh, that's devastating. But you might actually get over that. But if someone said the reason why you were born is to, feel, to fuel the eternal fire of God's eternal wrath, we might need to punch somebody in the mouth over that one, right? Like, you're going to be angry. Like, I'm going to divide from you and I want to hit you or something. I don't know. I can't say that. But, uh, <laughs> but seriously, these people had hate for one another. And, and Paul is reminding the Gentiles, man, remember you were outside of the party. The Jews did not invite you into this party. Basically saying to them, remember, you had the wrong color, the wrong culture, the wrong country. You see, sin divides people from God, but also from each other. When we're not in right relationship vertically with God, then we're not going to be in right relationship horizontally with each other. So both those vertical and, and horizontal separations only can be found in God. People have these differences among them, and, and they divide over them, and as they divide over them, it breeds this hostility and this strife between them. You see, the world divides over cultural issues, ideological, political, gender, or even ethnic issues, and that is a part of the fall. That's not a part of God's grace. That is a part of the fall. Every single day, we look out in the media, and what do we see? We see the polarization of people on a consistent basis, right? And, and as we see those things, what you see is this person's like, I stand for this, and the other person across the room says, I don't stand for that. I think you're wrong, and so therefore we're enemies. We're divided. We can't be Facebook friends anymore. Cut me off of social media because we don't agree on this one issue, right? Like that's what we see over this disagreement, and those disagreements start to breed themselves into hate. And I'd love to stand up here and say, man, the world divides over all these various issues, but not at the church. I'd love to say that sin and separation from God is, is in the world, but not in the church. But you know I can't say that. I can't say that. Rather than choosing the gospel, we've chosen our own separate ways. And, and here's the problem with this. That's not who we are. That's not who we are. Look with me in, in Ephesians 2, 13 through 17 to, to see what it says we are. 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both in God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And so we were a far-off people, but we now are a reconciled people in Christ. We are now a reconciled people in Christ. So Paul transitions to, to the peace of Jesus, right? And he says the peace of Jesus both brings us peace with God, but also, then also peace with everybody else. And when he says that in, in verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What he's saying is that Jesus' peace isn't just between us and God, but also between each other. That word peace that we see there is, is, is not just the absence of conflict, actually. It's a Greek word that's the same as the Hebrew word shalom, or a wholeness is what it means. It, it, when you take that word, it carries the idea of a mutual flourishing, meaning we create an environment, in a sense, where all of us mutually are flourishing together. 
You see, this peace is so much more. It's referring to so much more than just an absence of conflict. This peace is not an individual's lack of hostility, but it's the pursuit of flourishing for all of us. It's a wholeness. It's a, it's a unity that the peace of Jesus brings. And Paul says that this peace breaks down the wall of hostility. Now, you've got to ask the question, though, what is the wall of hostility, right? Well, to be in the first century and to go in the church, there were literal walls, uh, in, the, in the temple, uh, and when you, if you were going to the temple, you had the outer court, which is where the Gentiles were, and then you had the inner court, which is where the, the, the Jewish women were, and then you go in the innermost court, which is right before the holies of holies, and then you have the place where the Jewish men reside, okay? And in the Ju- Gentile court, there was an inscription on the wall, and here's what it says. No foreigner may enter without the barricade, oh, sorry, within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Basically saying, if you're a Gentile and you cross this line, if you climb over this fence, your death is on your hands when it happens. That's, that's the kind of hostility they had. And Paul is saying here in verse 14 that, his, that Christ's bloodshed on the cross ripped that apart. It tore it completely and utterly down. He tore down the the wall that divides folks based on ethnicity, on political uh, leanings, or even nationalistic idolatry. He broke it down. Jews and Gentiles alike now have access to God. You see, the ultimate answer to reconciling our horizontal relationships, the the relationships with people, is actually the, the reconciliation between us and God. It's not a, a political issue, it's not an intellectual issue, it's not a social issue, but it's a, very much a spiritual issue. You see, the gospel says that none of us deserve God's love. Th- therefore, we can confidently understand the fact that at the foot of the cross, we have a level playing field because the gospel breaks down the barrier between us and God and allows us all to come in, in the same path through Jesus to God himself. It levels the playing field. So what are some of the hostilities that divide us today? Well, one of, the, one of the hostilities that divide us as a church today is politics, right? Like, I know individuals who have said or at least implied in their minds that if you are a Democrat, you may not be a Christian. Or, on the other side of it, if you are a Republican, you may not be a Christian. Listen here. Jesus doesn't align, affiliate, or sign on to any of your political party. They are both created by sinful men with their own agendas. Now, to be fair, both of them may have values that may align with Jesus' values. And and both of them also have things that I would say drastically devalue Jesus' values. But they're not created by Jesus. They're not aligned by Jesus. That's not the gospel. Another hostility that we have in the church is race. Now, before you stop and kind of check out and say, well, I have to listen to this. I'm not a racist. Just pause for a minute. Just pause for a minute, and let's just be honest. Can I be honest? I have prejudices in my life and in my heart toward other people, and so do you. Right? Like, we all have these distinctions, prejudices, preferences, or even judgments from our very sin nature that we have that are not a part of the Spirit of God. So if you see someone who happens to be a Muslim, do you perceive them to be a person that probably doesn't like America or might be affiliated with a terroristic group? 
If you see someone who is a refugee or an undocumented immigrant, do you automatically assume about them that they're either lazy or some sort of mooch, or do you see them as someone who's striving and thriving to take care and love for their family? Or or do you see them as a person that, man, if I was in that person's shoes, I'd probably do the same thing out of love for my family. It should break our hearts because these are real people with real emotions and real issues. It should break our hearts to know that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who feel their lives don't matter. This isn't first an assault either on black or white or Hispanic or Asian or Native American. This isn't just primarily an assault on those people. What it's primarily an assault on is God's glory. We're stealing it from them. Hear me when I say this. Diversity, racial reconciliation among God's people is not a social issue. It's not a political issue. It is very much a gospel issue. That's what this passage is saying. And so now you're probably hearing me. It's like, okay, cool. Got you, Mo. I'm just going to be colorblind. So let's move on, right? Like, thanks. Put that in my pocket. We good. Well, let's look at verse uh, 15. Here's what Paul says. He says that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So catch this. This is beautiful. The word new there is the word kainos. Now, there's two words for new, and this one primarily, this one, when it's being used, is, is to be understood as a new kind, unprecedented, unheard of. So don't think the new iPhone X or a software update. It, it, think of it this way, a brand new invention, never existed before, never in the presence of this earth, brand new, never been known before. Jesus is making us a new people, and, and that new people consists of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So although being colorblind might have a good intention, that's not Jesus' goal for us. That's not his goal for us. Being, being colorblind, ignoring our differences when it comes to ethnicity is actually not a response that we need. This tendency actually comes from us liking or wanting comfort for, by removing our differences or our nuances because that makes us feel comfortable, right? But that's not what this peace brings, It isn't ignoring our differences or drawing some sort of truce because it's not an accident that God created us differently. It's not an accident at all. In in fact, the Bible would say it's not an accident and we're not to divide over those things either. Rather, ignoring our differences, we should celebrate them. You see, the gospel isn't colorblind, but it is color-inclusive. If we're to seek Jesus' peace in our church, we're not to build up walls that Christ already tore down. We ought to seek diversity. Our our differences, our ethnic and cultural backgrounds weren't a result of the fall, actually, but it's a part of God's good and gracious plan. I mean, look at Genesis 1. When you look at Genesis 1 and you see the creation of man, it says he made them male and female in his image, right? And so there's a distinction there, but there's no division there. If you flip over to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 7, you have this dude named John who wrote it, and he's looking off into heaven, and what does he say he sees? He says he sees people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He sees people with his own eyes, and and he sees it as beautiful and honoring and glorifying to God. He's like, man, this is amazing, the consummation of God's bride on display for all to see. And he says, man, I see people of color. I hear their languages. This is God's design. This is God's plan. And this glorifies God. It's beautiful. The differences are good. And if we want to be a church that says, man, let's pray the prayer that the the Father, like Jesus says to pray to the Father on earth as it is in heaven. If we're going to pray that, 
then ought we not pursue earth to look like heaven, every tribe, tongue, and nation? So namely diverse, how incredible would it be for someone to walk in this room and not have a category to place on this church? If he's like, he won't be able to walk in and say, man, that's a white church. He couldn't walk in and say, man, that's a young church. That's an old church. That's a, this kind of church. But no, he, the only explanation he can come up with is like, that's a Jesus church. I can see it in all the multiplicative diversity that it has. How beautiful would that be if somebody can walk in and say that? If a white person can worship the same God as an African man or a Middle Eastern child, that glorifies God. Diversity is all about bringing glory to the Father. So let's not be a people who build up walls that Christ has already torn down. He's already torn down the walls of hostility. And, and, and the gospel frees us to not only tolerate these things, but embrace them, take them in, celebrate them, pursue them, because we get to see the image of God on display. Verse 16 says, Jesus' cross reconciles us together with God and with each other, which saying that the man, the gospel not only killed hostility, but Jesus died for our unity. Our diversity reflects this gospel. And verse 17 continues and communicates that we have this common ground before us because he said, Paul preached peace to those who were far off, which are the Gentiles, and those who are near, which are the Jews. And what it's saying is that we all desperately need Jesus. We all desperately need the gospel. So how does this new family start to form itself, and what does it look like? Let's look at Ephesians 2, 18 through 22. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we are becoming God's new family. That's the next thing we see is that we are becoming God's new family. The invitation of Jesus is not to take this message and start to work harder at valuing people who look different than you. Like, that's not the message. And the invitation isn't for you to to try harder at not having various kinds of prejudices in your heart. As we said from the very first sermon in this series, we as followers of Jesus Christ are declared as saints, the set-apart people of God, meaning that we're not called to go and clean ourselves up all of a sudden to make ourselves presentable to God. No, what we're called to is allowing God to form and shape us to who we really are. This isn't about working towards a new activity, but living out of a new identity. Let me say that again. This is not about the church working toward a new activity, but living out of our new identity in Christ. So as God's new family, verse 19 says, we have a new citizenship. You and I got a new citizenship. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens to one another. So Paul's reminding us that we have a more important citizenship than the place that we reside. Like we all right now live presumably, in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is a part of the United States of America, and that's where we reside. But what Jesus says is that in Christ, that's your residence. That's your citizenship. You are in Christ. Our citizenship as followers of Jesus is not our physical location, but our spiritual status. We not only have a new citizenship, but verse 19 says that we're a new family. The church of Jesus is not an organization to affiliate with or a religious group that gets you to heaven, but it's a family that you actually belong to. We have a greater bond with one another than any person that shares our DNA. 
because we have the blood of Christ that brings us together. The blood of Jesus that makes us that kindness, that new family that God is creating. We're the one family, but we're displaying God's image in different people. In each and every one of us, in all of our differences, we get to display God. My, my beautiful daughter, Evangeline, notices the differences and celebrates them. Because when you look at each one of my children, you'll see that there's this, this gradient scale of skin color, okay? They got the picture, there it is. So, I mean, you got my boy Trey, he's about as close to my complexion as possible, but then they just kind of fade out until you get to Misha, and most people are like, where did she come from? Like, and like, what happened? Like, somehow I had a white baby, and it's awesome. Like, I mean, but praise God, aren't they beautiful? Like, my kids are gorgeous, man, and, and that's a beautiful thing. And here's what Evangeline says. Here's what Evangeline says. When she sees all of their differences, what she says is, that's what makes us special. That's what makes us special. You see, my daughter looks at the image of God on display and finds it beautiful and wonderful, worthy of celebrating because she gets a glimpse in the beauty of the one who created those differences. She gets it. Paul didn't say break down our differences, but he said break down the hostility. The family of God is where reconciliation happens and where you can actually be you. And the church is to also be a place where we each care for one another, right? We care about each other, even at the cost of our own preferences. Like, isn't that the call for me as a husband with with Colleen? Like, that's my call, is to love my wife and serve her, which means, yes, it's going to be hard sometimes because that means I have to give up some of the things that I care about and I like because I like what I like. But I have to embrace the fact that, man, I love her and care for her, so that means I'm going to give up some of my preferences so I can take on some of hers. And the same is, is true of the body of Christ. The same is true of God's church. So God has called us as a family to embrace that cost of losing some of ourselves to become one together. Right? So, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he's given us an example. They are one, right? And so the church is also called to be one. And it was extremely costly for Christ to die in order to make us this family. And so therefore, it ought to be costly to us, his family, to become the family that he died for, right? This might mean giving up some of our preferences, and it might mean embracing someone else's preferences. So let me give you some examples. One, how about music? Musical preference. We might have to give up some musical preference. So I know most of you probably, you might not know this. But there is music out there that glorifies and honors and praises God that you cannot find on K-Love, okay? Like, it's just not going to be there. They don't have it there, and it's okay. Like, I'm not mad at K-Love, but go home, go to Spotify, type in Kirk Franklin. Just listen a little bit. Just listen. They have a difference. I'm just saying, they might have to give up some of our preference musically. Um, And it will most definitely cost us our comfort. People don't naturally drift toward diversity. We actually naturally drift toward homogeny, which is sameness. It's uncomfortable to talk to somebody that's different than us or culturally or ethnically different than us. It's very uncomfortable. But the question that I I want to pose for us is, do you want to experience God in his fullness? Do you want to see God in his fullness? And this happens when we experience people that are different than us. You can walk across the street or you can go across the world and you see that Jesus is worshipped all over the place. But in that worship, he is worshipped differently in each one of those places. We see the glory of God, the image of God being manifested and displayed in its beauty, but differently. And so the challenge for us is 
to move closer to those who are different than us, not simply for diversity's sake, but so that we might experience God and all that he has. We need each other, each other, in order for us to see God in his fullness. If the image of God is displayed in living color, then, man, I want to see it in high def. Amen? Like, I want to see him in his clarity. Now, I know some of us in the room, and there's very few of us, but some of us in the room is like, man, I do that every single day. Like, literally, I do that every day. And here's what I mean by that, is to be a minority in the United States of America means that we actually introduce ourselves, initiate, and have conversations with people who don't look like us and are culturally different than us. That's just what it means to be American minority. But guess what? That's a good thing. Okay, I want to press into that and say that's a good and beautiful thing that we get to experience that. And if, and if you're a part of this family and you're not white, man, can I say something? Can I press in and challenge a little bit? We need you. City Light Church needs you in the building, in this room, in this family, because if you drift off into homogeny, well, guess what? Nothing changes then. I still become the token black guy on stage, right? Like, legit, like, I, we need you to be a part of this family. And, and listen, inevitably, when a Caucasian, a white family member, brother or sister, approaches you and makes you feel extremely awkward because they're overtly excited about the fact that you're here, have some patience with them. They have such good intentions. They, they love the fact that they get to see Jesus in you, and they want to see that. It's a good thing, and so be patient with them. I know there's a lot of them, but it's okay. Like, it's a good thing. And if you're a part of this family, and you are white, praise God. Praise God for that. I want to invite you into, into this mission of saying, hey, we're going to be a diverse church. Will you, will you come along with us and, and do this? Pastor Austin asks me probably weekly about diversity and cultural things all the time. And, and I don't take that as like, man, he's just silly. But no, I take it as, man, they, that guy loves me. He cares about me. He sees me for who I am. And I love it, man. I feel so valued by that. And so don't hear me and, and think that we're all bummed out because you're white. That's okay, okay? Like, we want that. That's beautiful. It's good. We embrace. We praise Jesus for you in the room. But what our prayer is is that we won't sit so comfortably in it that we won't settle for the status quo. We're praying that the gospel would shape and mold this family so much so that we might resemble heaven a little bit more by moving ourselves closer to those who look different, walk different, think different, culturally are different, and vote different. See, like we, we belong to the household of God, which means we have more in common with someone that's black, Latino, white, Native American, Indian, Asian, that is a part of the body of Christ than anyone who might have a similar background to us who doesn't know Jesus. That should call our hearts to an allegiance and even a steadfastness and a unity with folks that's far beyond any other kingdom on this planet but the kingdom of God. That's what it should compel our hearts to do. Our commonality is not where we come from, but it's whose family we belong to. In verses 20 through 22, it says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, we have a citizenship, a new citizenship. We're part of a new family, but we're also a holy temple. You see, the temple is the place where God's presence dwelled, where, where man could go and meet God. And, and, and it was made of brick, and it was made of mortar. And so we need each other, everyone, brick by brick, to build the holy temple of God. 
And the reconciliation, understanding diversity is a holiness issue for us. It is a holiness issue for us as the church. And what happens is the Spirit of God joins us together as the mortar between our bricks. We're called to gospel unity, and it's a gospel unity that the world has never seen. You see, there's no other place or people in the world that is capable of the type of unity that we're capable of. The church is God's presence on display, built up into diverse men and women. We are bonded together by the blood of Jesus. The Spirit of God draws us together as God's holy temple. Now, this call to to racial or ethnic unity, man, it's a high bar, is it not? It can be a little bit overwhelming for us, which I think is why Paul put verses 21 and 22 there. There's, There's some words that stand out when you look at it. He says that we're being joined we are growing, and we are built together. So, so it's like, whew, okay, we haven't arrived, and we know that, right? Like, we can say, okay, it's okay that we're not there yet, but we do need to grow up. We might be in our infancy stage right now, but we do need to grow up. And as we intentionally press in faith toward God and his family, man, our hope and our prayer is that he will do that work himself. There, there, There's so much here that I'd love to talk to you about, by the way. (laughs) Like, there's so much. Like, all the guys who edited my sermon know that I left a lot on the cutting room floor. So what I want to say, man, come talk to me about them. Come talk to me. Come talk to anybody, really. Like, let's start discussing these things with one another. But what we're pursuing here is not just diversity for diversity's sake. What we're pursuing here is to be the family of God who displays God's image as heaven is on earth. Amen? And so uh, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the invitation for you this morning is to be a part of that family. That's the invitation. Christ did the harder thing of dividing a wall of hostility between holy, righteous, and good, and beautiful God and sinful dead man. He sent his son Jesus to die and resurrect so that he can reconcile both man and God together. And the invitation is, man, would you place your faith in him and have peace with God? Would you place your faith in him so you can be a part of this crazy eclectic family? And God brought us near by his blood. And so when Jesus was killed, he also killed in his body the division among people. This is a reality in our hearts, but it's also a reality for our church. If Jesus truly reigns in the city light family, we won't work toward building up more walls that Christ has already torn down. But we'll strive toward the peace and reconciliation of Jesus among us. His finished work, reconciling us to himself, but also thereby reconciling him to each other. We have an immense, an immense responsibility to be a pocket of reconciliation and peace in a very divided world. So here's the takeaway. Jesus' gospel compels us to listen to each other, empathize with someone who's different, be intentional with a diversity of friends, and enjoy our differences, celebrate them. So we stand with me as a unified family. You see, every other week, we as City Light Church, we celebrate communion. And um, as you come up, the way we celebrate that is as a family, right? So we come up and we grab the bread, which is Christ's body broken for us, and, and dip it in the juice, which is Christ's blood shed for us. But he died, and we get to do that to celebrate the fact that, hey, Christ died so that we can be reconciled to him, but also that we can be reconciled to this family. Amen? Let's pray.